It is my honor and my privilege to invite you to point your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, the Gospel of Luke chapter 10, as we continue our series in the third Gospel, Luke chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, there is one provided for you in the pew in front of you, and you will find Luke chapter 10 on page 868 of the Church Bible. And if you don't own a Bible at home, please feel free to take that Bible home with you and read it. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 10, verse 1 down to 16, and then pray, asking for the Lord's help on our time together in this passage. And then we'll get to work unpacking it a little bit at a time. Should be around 45 minutes or so. Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Let's pray. Father, we ask you for your Holy Spirit now. To give us 
power to be bold witnesses in our family, in our friends, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, and to the ends of the earth. And I ask you, Father, that through this word, which we have just read, and the understanding that your Holy Spirit gives from it, that you would use it to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. And send us, as those who have received grace, to reach up in prayer and to reach out with the gospel to those who've never heard. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God made man in his own image. He revealed the truth about himself to every human. Mankind suppresses this truth and has rebelled against him. And in so doing, they have incurred his just judgment for their sin. But to demonstrate the glory of his grace and his immense love for his people, God the Father sent his Son, Jesus Christ, into the world, who would suffer the judgment of sinners himself in order to reconcile sinners to God. Jesus died and was raised to life on the third day. And all who turn to him in faith are forgiven of their sins and are granted the very righteousness of Christ and eternal life. If you're not a Christian, friend, turn from your sin. Turn to Jesus Christ for mercy. Call upon him and you will be saved. This is what we call the gospel. The good news that through Jesus Christ, hell-deserving sinners like you and I are saved from our sin, granted peace with God, and granted everlasting joy. The gospel. But you know what? Unless something changes... Three billion people alive today will live their entire lives without hearing what I just said. They will live their entire lives without learning how to call on the name of the Lord and to be saved from their sin. They will spend their entire lives not knowing how they can be saved eternally. Or to use Jesus' words, the harvest is plentiful, laborers are few. Now, last week, I talked about what I consider to be the greatest issue of our day. Today, we talk about what is the greatest opportunity in our day. A plentiful harvest. There's been a lot of talk for the last couple of years about labor shortages. Well, there's no greater labor shortage than this labor shortage, I assure you. The need is great. But I want you to notice the Lord promises the harvest is plentiful. History bears this out. 
For example, there's a chain of islands in the South Pacific which used to be known as the New Hebrides. And these islands were largely inhabited by a spattering of Melanesian tribes who were cannibalistic and practiced infanticide. They would sacrifice widows who lost their husbands so that the wife could go on to be with her husband. They would worship demons. And they had never heard of Jesus Christ. The first missionaries that went to the New Hebrides were killed and cannibalized. And then missionaries followed them and they were chased off, barely escaping with their lives. And then in 1858, an old Scotsman, a 33-year-old Scotsman named John G. Patton and his wife Mary were preparing themselves to be the next set of missionaries to go to the New Hebrides to tell them about Jesus. And knowing the history of the New Hebrides, there were people who were opposed to this, considered it unwise because it was so dangerous. And one man went to John G. Patton and said, shouted, you'll be eaten by cannibals. Patton said, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. And I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And then in April, John and Mary set sail for the New Hebrides revival. (laughs) Mary got pregnant on the way. And they landed on the islands in November, and and in February, Mary gave birth to a son. But in March of that year, both of them died of fever. And John continued to labor there alone, a sheep among wolves, for the next four years. He remarried in 1864, where he and his second wife, Margaret, would serve as missionaries in those islands for the next 41 years. And the Lord was pleased to grant much fruit to their ministry. Many came to know the Lord. When John Patton died in 1907, there were entire islands that had been brought to faith. And today, 93% of the population of that country consider themselves Christians. And it all started with just a handful of people who considered the reproach of Christ to be greater wealth than all the kingdoms of this world. And a handful of people who were saved by grace, who were willing and determined to be sheep among wolves, to be laborers, to carry the good news of Jesus Christ to those who had never heard. And in the passage before us, the mission and the message of the Lord Jesus Christ is expanding. We started with Him, sent by His Father, became twelve. Followers of Jesus who became fishers of men. From those twelve becomes seventy-two. And after these seventy-two, a hundred and twenty will be gathered together in the upper room. And they'll pray and the Lord will grant three thousand souls in Jerusalem. And by the time that the canon of scripture is done, there are untold numbers of men and women and children who have called upon the name of the Lord. Many of whom are being sent to those who've never heard. This mission, this message, 2,000 years old, continues to this very day. You know, there are more followers of Jesus Christ alive today than ever in history. 
And yet our opportunities were never greater. Three billion people unreached. Now I'll remind you what it means to be unreached. Because some of us are thinking, well, my, my unsaved coworker is unreached. No, your unsaved coworker is not unreached. Because you are their coworker. Un- unreached means that they don't know anyone who knows anyone who is a Christian. If they wanted to go to a church, they wouldn't even know who to ask. That's what it means to be unreached. And that's the reality of three billion people alive today. The opportunity is great. What Jesus said two millennia ago has never been more true than it is now. The harvest is plentiful and the laborers few. Here's the big idea this morning. It's really simple. Reach up and reach out. Reach up in prayer and reach out to others with the global glory of Christ. So reach up in prayer, asking God to send laborers into the nations and reach out to others through simple, single-minded, flexible, generous lives lived for the global glory of Jesus Christ. And since we have all of the kids in here with us, I've decided on a 13-point sermon. You'll get your money's worth today. So I'll, I will explain. There are 13 points. We'll work through them very quickly in succession. The first point, I'm going to call it, any fool will do. Any fool will do with a couple qualifiers. This is verse 1. Let's look at verse 1 one more time. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, sent them ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Okay, so after this, the chapter opens with after this. Now, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been in Luke's gospel, so let's remind ourselves. What do you you think he means by after this? What is this? Well, this is referring to the events that took place in chapter 9. Okay? The beginning of chapter 9, Jesus sent the 12 apostles on their first emissions trip. And the Lord provided for them. He did miracles through them. And then when they get back, there's a huge crowd of people following Jesus and they're hungry. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, feed them. And they look what they have and they say, well, we can't feed them. We don't have enough to feed them. And then Jesus corrects them. And he does a miracle and feeds 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. With 12 baskets left over. The Apostle Peter, then after this, Jesus predicts his death, and they don't understand what he means. And he takes the Apostle Peter and James and John, and he goes up a mountain, and he reveals his glory to those three disciples. And the Apostle Peter doesn't get it, and he has to be corrected. Then they come down from the mountain, and the other disciples are down to the base of the mountain, and they're trying to cast out a demon, and they can't. And Jesus has to fix it. Then he predicts his death again, and they still don't get it. Well, then our boys get into an argument about which one of them is the greatest. Jesus has to set them straight. One of them admits to rebuking some guy who's not really doing things their way. Jesus has to set them straight. Well, then there's Samaritans who reject Jesus, and a couple of the disciples want to ask God to turn them into burnt marshmallows. Jesus has to set them straight. Well, then a lot of people misunderstand who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. 
And so Jesus has to set them straight. And then we get to chapter 10, verse 1, and we read, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them ahead of him. You know what this means for me? It means hope. It's hope. It means that thick-headed, knuckle-dragging fools, like yours truly, can be used by the Lord to some good effect. It means that you don't have to have all your stuff together to be used by the Lord in the advance of His gospel. That's why I called this point, any fool will do. But of course, there are qualifiers, which is why I have the parentheses up there. Any humble, teachable, willing fool will do. You must be humble, you must be teachable, and you must be willing. But but this is the main point here, that you need to know your Bible, you need to know the gospel, you need to be growing in your knowledge of both. You need to be humble, you need to be teachable, you need to be willing, but you don't have to have mastered a systematic theology in order to share the gospel with a friend or loved one or a coworker. You don't need to be able to quote Augustine or Burkov or Balvink. You don't even need to know who those people are. You just need to be humble and teachable, hungry for God's word, and willing to share the gospel with someone else. God will correct things as you go along. So that's what I mean, any fool will do. So after the Lord has spent all of this time with his disciples, correcting them, training them, and then retraining them, and then eventually retraining them again, he sends out 72 others. Now, as I said earlier, it starts with him, sent by his father, then to the 12th, now to the 72, who are appointed, who are sent. The question is, to what are they sent, and to what have they been appointed? For that, we have to keep on reading. And this is where the next 12 points come from. I call these the 12 B's of mission. The 12 B's of mission. The first B is in verse 2. And, and Jesus said to these 72, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So the first B of missions is to be in prayer. In chapter 10, 2 to 11, it's sort of like Jesus' mission briefing. He's, He's telling these 72 how he wants them to go about the mission. He explains the problem, he explains the purpose, he explains the procedures. And the Lord is clear how He wants these 72 to do ministry. He gives them 12 B's, 12 things that they are to be as they go about His mission. And the first, the foremost, the most important is be in prayer. The harvest is plentiful, the labor is few, therefore pray and pray earnestly. The word means urgently. Now, notice a couple of things that Jesus teaches us about mission. He says, the harvest belongs to the Lord. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. It's His harvest. It's not wrong to pray for the harvest, 
But Jesus is telling the 72 to pray for the laborers to go to the harvest. Be in prayer. Pray earnestly. Pray urgently. Pray that God would send laborers into his harvest. The beginning of the 20th century, there was something like 0.1% of the population of South Korea were Christian. Today, there are over 10 million people in South Korea who consider themselves Christians, thousands of them being sent out as missionaries to the nations of the world. In the last 100 years, it went from 0.1% to millions upon millions. Any, Any guesses as to how that changed? By prayer. The beginning of the 20th century, the Lord began to move on that 0.1% missionaries and locals. They began to pray. Many of them prayer meetings that they would have every day at 4 a.m. To this day, they will gather at 4 a.m. in stadiums and pray that the Lord would send workers into the harvest. And the Lord was pleased to answer those prayers. And now South Korea is a major exporter of missionaries to the ends of the earth. So if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to put in a plug for our Tuesday night prayer meetings held in the Bethany room just over here at 6.30 p.m. Tuesdays. So thankful for our dear brother, Chris Wilson, who started this years ago. One of the things that we pray for in these meetings is to pray for missions. Because, you know, whatever your hope is for Piqua Baptist Church, for Piqua, Ohio, it has to start with prayer. It will only start if it starts with prayer. It is just the Lord's way to use the prayers of His people and the faithful proclamation of His gospel to accomplish His purposes in the earth. But it always starts with prayer. So if you would, please join us on Tuesday nights. Not every Christian has the privilege to go to the unreached like John G. Patton. But every one of us should pray earnestly that the Lord would send laborers to the unreached. In fact, you can download, there's an app, I have an app on my phone called, I think just Unreached Peoples of the Day. Yeah, Unreached Peoples of the Day. And you can just click on this, and every single day there's a new Unreached People group put out by the Joshua Project. Tells you a little bit about the the people, tells you about how many Christians there are among them, and you can just pray for them. And you can set the notifications on your phone to notify you every day. You just click on that notification, make a prayer, and join millions of others who are praying that God would accomplish His purpose in the earth. So first, be. Be in prayer. Second, be. Be a laborer. Jesus says, verse 3, go your way. Pray the Lord would send laborers and be a laborer. The Lord is telling these 72 to pray for laborers, and then he sends them out as laborers. Go your way is a command that he gives to them. It's the same command that he gave to the disciples in the Great Commission. Go make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them, 
be a laborer. The word itself, it presumes that there is difficulty. Pray the Lord would send laborers. Missions work. Sharing the gospel is difficult work. And so the Lord is telling these 72 to go ahead of him to the villages that he's preparing to come. And we also have the same privilege to go to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors, to our coworkers. Some of us, the lucky ones, get to go to the nations. But as you're praying, also go. As you're praying for an unsaved loved one, Ask the Lord to give you an opportunity to give you the boldness to share the gospel with them. So be in prayer. Be a laborer. Third B. Be alert or be aware. This is verse 3. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Be aware. The commandment in this verse is behold. You have to be aware. You have to, don't be naive as to what exactly it is what we're doing. And don't be surprised when the message that you bring is opposed. Don't be surprised when you, as the messenger, are opposed. The villages to which the Lord sent these 72 was hostile territory. The message of the kingdom is that there is a king... And you're not him. And he's coming to take back what is rightfully his. And the kingdoms of this world don't always receive that message well. Sometimes they fight against it. And sometimes they fight against those who preach it. And so the Lord is preparing the 72, telling them that you are like gentle defenseless lambs being sent into the midst of wolves. So the work is difficult, and the work is dangerous. Be aware. Fourth, be. Be focused. Verse 4, carry no money bag, carry no knapsack, carry no sandals, greet no one on the road. The mission is urgent, so pack light and stay focused. Jesus isn't telling the 72 to be rude. He's telling them to stay on track. You've got a purpose. Don't stop, at F, don't stop off at every Starbucks you find along the way. You've got a purpose. Go. For the sake of the urgency of the mission, pack light and trust that the Lord will provide. It's the same thing that he told the apostles at the beginning of chapter 9. Don't bring anything with you. I'll provide for you. There is a necessary simplicity to being a Christian. You might say an unworldliness. So things like food and furnishing and physical fitness. Christians understand that these are means to an end. But these are not worthwhile ends in themselves. As Christians, our first thought ought to be of eternal things. The glories of Christ. The discipling of others. The souls of the lost. Our first thoughts ought to be reaching up 
reaching out. For the sake of God's glory, for the sake of His global mission, dear Christian brother and sister, live under your means. Live simple. Spend your time and your money on the advance of the gospel in your life, among your church family, and on to the ends of the earth. In every way that God would enable you, live free from the encumberments of this life which distract us from the mission of God in the earth. Before you make any major life decision, run it through the grid. Will this decision that I'm about to make enable me or hinder my ability to disciple others, to serve the advance of the gospel among the unreached? Or in other words, be focused. Be focused. Fifth B. Be a blessing. Take a look at verse 5. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. It was just the normal greeting of the time, corresponded to the word shalom, which you've probably heard before. It means peace, wholeness. It really means may God be with you. And, and Jesus is telling us, 72, be a blessing among those you meet. Don't go into town, break down the doors, flip over the coffee tables, and set the doilies on fire and say, the kingdom of God has come near. Be a blessing. Turns out you can be passionate about Jesus, passionate about evangelism, without being a jerk. Be a blessing. Number six, be flexible. Be flexible. This is verse six. So be, be a blessing. Say peace to this house. And if there's a, a son of peace there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. A son of peace, weird language. It just means someone who's receptive to the message of God's grace. Someone who's receptive to their ministry. Jesus is telling the 72, there are some people who are going to receive you, welcome you into their homes. When you say, peace be to this house, they're going to receive you in. There are going to be other people who will not receive you, who do not receive your peace. Jesus said, that's sad, but move on. Be flexible. Friend, when you share the gospel, some will receive you, others will not. And when they don't, don't let it ruin your day. Go to the next person, share the gospel with them. Be flexible. So be in prayer, be a laborer, be alert. Be focused, be a blessing, be flexible. And the verses 7 and 8 tell us, be content. Be content. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town, if they receive you, eat what is before you. Be content. So adapt yourself to whatever the Lord is doing, whatever seems to be working. Accept the kindness of strangers. Remember, he's told them, bring money with you. Just trust that I'll provide for you. And I will provide for you. Through the kindness of strangers, I will provide for you. The laborer is worthy of his wages. So receive the generosity of others and be content 
Wherever you go, whatever they set before you, eat that, drink that. Verse 9 gives us the next two B's. Be a healer and be a proclaimer. Be a healer and be a proclaimer. He says, heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So so the Lord gives these 72 authority to heal. This is the great physician sending 72 residents doing house calls ahead of him. As already we've seen in the Gospel of Luke, working of miracles accompanies the proclamation of the Gospel. It's the healing of the sick that authenticated the message of the Savior. Enabling the 72 to heal the sick would have confirmed that Jesus was no ordinary teacher. He was no traveling preacher like they had seen before. He was the Messiah sent by God to reverse the effects of sin on mankind. Healing the sick was one thing that God said Messiah would do when He came. So these Christian missionaries were to heal the sick. This is what Christian missionaries have done for 2,000 years. Go to the unreached with the gospel and often with medicine. With help of other kinds. Everywhere the gospel goes. And you can check this. Everywhere the gospel goes. One of the fruits of that is the education of people goes up. And the health care of people goes up. And this is because healing the body is important to God. Not ultimately important, but important nonetheless. We do both. Because healing the body and not preaching the gospel doesn't do anyone any good eternally. But if we were to preach the gospel and then just be blind to the physical needs of the people to whom we're ministering, then wouldn't the message of the gospel be in some way undermined? And so God has always sent His people out primarily to preach the gospel, but also to heal the sick. The 72 would go out, they would heal, and they would proclaim. And they would say, the kingdom of God has come near. What's all this talk about the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God means the rule of God in delivering people from every effect of sin. Most importantly, the judgment of God. But also includes the effects of of sin on the body, a relieving of suffering. It is God's rule which restores the right order to the world that God had made. After the resurrection, Jesus himself said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He is the king. He is the king of this kingdom. And this kingdom is his kingdom. And all who submit to his reign see the benefit of it. But as we've seen earlier, not everyone will submit. 
because many want to be their own king. They're like those tenants in Jesus' parable who want the vineyard for themselves. And so the Lord instructs the 72 on how to handle when they are rejected. And that brings us to our 10th B. Be resilient. Verse 10 and 11, but whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, the kingdom of God has come near. Be resilient. The message of the kingdom will not always be well received. People will reject the message. People will reject the messengers. And when that happens, Jesus says, go into the streets and shake the dust off of your feet. Now, back in chapter 9, we learned what that meant. It was a custom in those days, if you were a Jewish person living in Palestine, in the Holy Land, if you were to travel outside of the Holy Land... And then when you came back, you shook the dust off of your feet, lest you bring in foreign soil into God's holy land. And Jesus is saying that those who are in Israel, who rejected the message of God's grace, Israel's Messiah, have judged themselves as outsiders, foreigners to the people and the promises of God. And so Jesus is telling them, Tell the truth about the kingdom of God. Make the offer of God's grace from judgment through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. When they receive you, rejoice in that. And when they reject you, with a heavy heart, shake the dust off of your feet and move on. Be resilient. Eleventh, be. Be serious. Let's pick up reading in verse 12 down to 15. Jesus says, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. And then Jesus goes into woes and he says, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, pagan cities from long ago. They would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And then he turns to his own hometown. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. So the 11th B is be serious. This reminds us what is at stake. Evangelism is very serious business. Church is serious business. We don't play church. We should have joy in church. We should be happy in church. But we must be serious in church. These are serious matters that we discuss on Sunday mornings. And Jesus says specifically, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Sodom than for the towns that rejected the 72. He says to the city of Chorazin and Bethsaida, cities in which he ministered himself, 
that their judgment on the last day would be worse than Tyre and Sidon. He says that had Tyre, had Sidon seen the things they seen, heard the message they heard, then Tyre and Sidon would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. And then Jesus speaks to Capernaum, where he lived himself. Having not repented of their sins, would they be lifted to heaven? No, they would be brought down to Hades, the place which came to refer to unending suffering for the unrepentant dead. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that the cities in which he ministered would be held responsible for the revelation they had received and rejected. On the day of judgment, there will be varying levels of judgment. And the greater the revelation, the greater the judgment. The city of Sodom rejected two angels and was destroyed with sulfur and fire. How much more responsible will be the cities in which God the Son Himself ministered? Now make note of something. The cities of Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum, they didn't run Jesus off. They didn't try and throw Jesus off a cliff like they did in Nazareth. For the most part, those cities, just simply ignored him. So maybe this is your first time in church. Maybe you haven't been to church in a while, or maybe you come to church all the time. If you sit unmoved by the truth that you are a sinner, careless about the offer of God's grace, indifferent to his Son, the Savior, friend, you are in grave danger. Throw yourself at the mercy of God. Confess your sins, repent, and believe. His life, His death, His resurrection has secured a place in heaven for all who turn to Him in faith. Do not leave this place without repenting of your sins. And when you do, tell someone. We'd love to get to know you. We conclude this morning where the Lord concludes in the passage before us. Verse 16 our twelfth and our final B. Be faithful. The one who hears you, hears me. So now he's speaking to the disciples, to the 72. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. Jesus is telling 72 that if they faithfully deliver the message as he's given it to them, then their message is his message. And it would be the same as if he had said it himself. And the guilt upon those who reject it would be the same as if they had rejected Jesus himself. If they reject you, they're rejecting me. If they reject me, they reject God himself. So Christian, be faithful to the message. Notice there are only two options, two responses to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to receive it or to reject it. There are no third options. To ignore it is to reject it. To not think about it, to put it out of your mind is to reject it. Oh, I pray that that would not be true of anyone in this room.
do not reject this message. How difficult it must have been for those tribes people in the New Hebrides to have received the message of the gospel from a white European. They'd heard of colonialism, colonialism, they had felt its effects. And how easy it would have been for them to simply reject the message of John G. Patton on that basis alone. But they didn't. They humbled themselves. They received the message. Many believed. Many were saved. We thank God for what He did in Patton's day. That mission continues. Continues in this place. Continues through this place to the ends of the earth. So friend, reach out. Reach up to God in prayer. Reach out to others. Live simple. Live single-minded. Live flexible. Live generous lives for the global glory of Christ. For the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Any humble, teachable, and willing fool will do. Let's pray. Father, we admit that we have often lost sight of what is most important. We've taken our eyes off of the glory of Jesus. Our hearts have grown cold. We lose the urgency of the mission of God. We've left the plentiful harvest without laborers. Will you please forgive us? For we have encumbered our lives with busyness financial obligations, much of which have little to do with the global glory of Christ. Would you have mercy on us, O Lord? And would you make us like these 72? Would you appoint us and send us to the people around us? Would you give us humble hearts and teachable spirits and a willingness to proclaim the excellencies of Christ to those who need to hear it? Are there any here, Lord, that you would have go to the unreached? Is it me? Is it my family? Would you send us? Lord, would you enable us, this church, to be a church which equips and sends men and women to the nations? We have received grace. We've been united to your Son. Give us your Holy Spirit to reach up and to reach out. Jesus name. Please stand to your feet for the assurance of pardon at the end of the service. We the Lord, and we give thanks to Him for what He has promised us, that those who put their faith in Him and repent of their sins are assured that they have been pardoned of those sins. The assurance of pardon this morning comes from Lamentations chapter two, 3, verse two, 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness.